The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Luke. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Yes, it is the Sunday of the unexpected. No, the last part of the Gospel was not printed in the bulletin. And no, I am not Jerry. To understand today's readings is to begin to get a glimpse of what Christmas is all about. And it is a radical message for a people who have been sitting and dwelling in darkness for a very long time. And I don't mean the length of the pandemic, and I don't mean the length of the political breakup it seems, of our body politic. I mean the length of human history. In the time in which this was written, late in the first century, the world was dominated by the Roman Empire. And the people, the ancient Israelites, had gotten used to, if not comfortable with for sure, another occupying power on their land, in their capital of Jerusalem, and indeed in the very temple itself. And the heart of Greco-Roman culture of the time was the paterfamilias. Center of that, of course, was the emperor, but it was understood that in every household there was a male patriarch who was in charge 
The whole household was organized around him. And no one in the household, particularly the women, were identified except through him. The Pax Romana was enforced through threat of violence. Namely, that other symbol that figures so prominently in our tradition, the cross. Crucifixion was the way to keep the people in line. It was a form of brutal and public execution to remind anyone else who might be inclined to upset the peace that this is what will happen to you and probably those associated with you if you don't mind the laws of the empire. Another system of violence had been in force in the Jewish world for nearly a thousand years, and that was the sacrificial system of the temple. At some point in the distant, distant history, in the dim past, in the early traditions that gave rise to the first forms of Judaism that we would recognize, human beings had decided to move from violence against one another to set up instead a sacrificial system where they could make atonement with their God by sacrificing animals. And so in various ways, in various forms, over a thousand years, Jews in ancient Israel had been making pilgrimage to Jerusalem to purchase the animals or bring the animals with them to make sacrifice to atone for their sins. For a God, they thought, relied upon violence in order to keep the order, in order to maintain good relations with the world and with the people of God. That gives the context in which we receive our readings today, written in the latter half of the first century. One is the letter written to the Hebrews by an author who was clearly trying to explain the place of Christ as the old sacrificial system that has stood for a thousand years is about to be or has been swept away by the Roman occupation. And what the author is saying is that Jesus' coming as the Christ is the end of the old sacrificial system. Only one more sacrifice has been made, and that is God of God's self to our violent tendencies and our ways of enforcing order through the threat of violence. And in doing so, Christ's coming and self-offering is ushering in a new kind of order, a new way of being in community and being in the world. And we, the first Christians in the latter half of the first century, are here to bear witness to that new world. Incidentally, Judaism at the time was going through a similar transition. 
so that the Judaism we have today has set aside as well, just as we have, the old sacrificial system in favor of something new. And one of the things we share in common with our Jewish sisters and brothers is like them, we gather in community. Instead of going to the temple to offer sacrifice, we bring ourselves. And if there is any sacrifice, it is, if you listen closely to the language of our worship, something different, something profound, and something critically important for a world in need of healing at this time. Luke takes a slightly different tack on this whole transition. Which is why I like to call this Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of women. Yay, someone said. I was gathered with St. Anne's Circle briefly on Friday. One of them wrote to me afterwards, thank you for coming and gathering with all the ladies. I hope it was all right for you. I had a great time. Just, just, just want to bring that home. But, but this is especially for the guys in the room because this is important. If you look closely at the narrative of today's gospel, who is missing in the story? The two patriarchs, Zechariah and Joseph. Joseph, for whatever reason, has stayed behind in Nazareth. Maybe he's just keeping the household running. But he has been set aside in the narrative. Zechariah, even more interestingly, who is one of the priests in the temple in Jerusalem, has been rendered mute by an angel. Which, for a priest, for this preacher, is a pretty big deal. And there's only passing reference to the fact that Mary has gone to the house of Zechariah, but not to see Zechariah, to see Elizabeth. This is the beginning of the story of the women in Luke's narrative. It is only the beginning. Because if you listen closely as we move through Luke this year, you are going to find that the women keep coming up. Here's the secret, guys. The women get it. We're along for the ride. And in an ancient society where the patriarch was the center of everything, that is a radical message, which is why Mary sings her song about the whole world being turned upside down. You notice the patriarch has been supplanted. Supplanted not by the emperor or the empire, but by God and the coming of the Christ child. The whole center of the universe has moved from one of power and violence to the promise of a lowly child, which Luke will remind us in a few short days is born in a stable, in a manger, 
in that one-horse town that Micah talks about, Bethlehem of Ephrathah. It was not lost on Luke, writing towards the end of the first century, that the church was really led by the women. They were the ones to first host the early house churches. They opened their doors to some of the apostles. But even before that, do you remember who the first ones at the empty tomb were? The women. Who were the first ones to proclaim that Christ had risen? The women. Who was it who was the first to welcome the life of Christ into herself? Mary, a woman. And in Elizabeth and Mary's mutual recognition today, we see the beginning of the story of the healing of the world as it starts to unfold. So today, all the guys like me take a step back and reckon in awe about something new that is unfolding as the story of the Incarnation begins. But if you ask me, is still unfolding in the life of the church 2,000 years later. Because I assure you, without the women, there would be no Church of Our Savior. And I would not be here. It just wouldn't be possible, would it? You all know this, don't you? Yes. It's true. And this is why. This is the new world the world that God has promised, where the old systems of power and domination and violence have been subverted, and a new world of compassion, of community, of a family based not on blood or power, but on mutuality, self-offering, and the care of the least among us comes first. That is the world that God is asking us to take into our hearts this Christmas. And I invite you this week as you prepare to reflect on that and in ways both small and great to welcome that into your life. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread, and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website 
at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.